Matthew, thanks for your time uh, today. Thanks for the opportunity. My name is Paul Atherley. I'm the chairman of Pensana PLC. We're a standard listed company that's building the world's first rare earth processing hub here in the UK, in the Sultane Chemicals Park in the Humber Freeport. And we're looking to leapfrog the Chinese and become the first company outside China to produce the lowest uh, embedded carbon rare earth to supply the burgeoning electric vehicle and offshore wind industry. Good to see you, Paul. I haven't seen you since March. I know you're slightly tongue-in-cheek about leapfrogging the, uh, the Chinese, but, um, you know, can, can this be the beginning of something for Europe? Um, since we saw each other, we, you've, you know, we've got green bonds, we've got Polestar, we've got groundbreaking, um, we've got MOUs, a lot going on. What should we be looking at first? I think the, the question you asked me last time was said, it all sounds great, Paul. How are you going to finance it? So we said to you that uh, we're looking to go to the bond market. And, uh, and a component of that is we need to get green credentials. So we've gone to this agency called Cicero, which is uh, one of Norway's, Norway's uh, uh, premier uh, bond assessment agencies. And we're delighted to announce that we got a... Uh, light green rating and a, a good rating for corporate governance. And that's really important because, as you know, that's a stamp on the front of your bond documentation that gets you in the door. And quite frankly, these days, many of the institutions simply won't see you unless you have those um, third-party validated green credentials. So I think that's a really big one for us. Um, and then the other question you asked me was, you know, what about your offtake? You know, it's all very well having... Uh, building something, you've got to have customers. Well, yesterday, as you saw, we've announced a 25% offtake for the company with a, a non, major non, major industry player, non-Chinese. So, um, and given the uh, value of our revenue stream, that's uh, that's exactly what the financiers are looking for. So I think they're the two big uh, changes since we last spoke, and that puts us in a prime position to be able to complete the financing and get on and build it. Right, okay. Um, that still doesn't answer the question of, you know, When's the money come and what shape is it going to take um, and who's delivering it? So the green bonds, you're, you're set up, you're in discussion. They feel that you meet whatever criteria it is, but what's it going to take to actually get over the line? Bond markets, obviously, in a little bit of turmoil at the moment. So, you know, how do we move it forward? Well, I was rather hoping we had it done by now, but as you say, the bond market's had a few hiccups the last few weeks. And uh, as we were talking about earlier, the bond, the bond market opens and closes. Uh, so, so at the moment, it's not a good time. But um, I, we are documenting as we speak and uh, arranging to be in front of uh, the B2, the bond market in the next few weeks without, uh, without being too specific. And then that will complete our financing and we can draw it down and, uh, and get building. And just in terms of the, the, the size and shape, we've said previously it's $250 million. The bond is in the order of a $175 million bond, uh, which uh, uh, leaves us with um, uh, $75 million roughly. And we've got a strategic, we're looking at a strategic for about 50 and the balance we're looking to come from existing shareholders or institutions we already know. And I think the key point was, when we made it last time, was we don't need to go running around the capital markets, the equity markets at this point, when they're, they're obviously pretty weak. So the, it, a key thing for us is not having to go to the equity markets to to raise capital for, for it and, and get on and build it is, uh, is fantastic in this market.
Right. So green credentials there. What else is it predicated on in terms of um, showing that you have the technical ability to actually deliver a product which can be sold into, say, your MOU offtake partner? Well, there's two components to it. One is that we've appointed a project delivery team. That's a very, very high quali- highly qualified team. Uh, we've got overall 130 engineers working on the project. So the first thing we've got to demonstrate to the world is we can build this. And uh, we've got uh, Hamish Westforster for Saltend, and we've got a great team in in Angola to be able to build it. And then the second thing is we are working with the key customers, the key players on um, providing them with the technical specifications of the product we're going to produce so that we can actually uh, uh, provide uh, supply to them. And you mentioned Polestar before, you know, one of the things we're seeing going forward that we think the automotive manufacturers are looking harder at is uh, three components. One is uh, cost in the price they're going to have to pay. Two is uh, um, transparency. There's concerns over things like child labor and uh, highest ESG credentials. But here's the big one. Here's the big change. Right now, embedded carbon is is really huge. So what we're now seeing is uh, customers saying, demonstrate to us you can produce a, a low embedded product low embedded carbon product. And we can do that because we've got a 10-year offtake uh, agreement for hydroelectric power at uh, Angola. And we announced this deal with Yorkshire Energy Park, which has got a 200 megawatt battery just north of us at Sultan, connected to uh, an offshore wind uh, farm. So we can say we've got offshore wind powered separation circuit and a hydroelectric powered mine in Angola, which will we will enable us to, we think, produce the lowest embedded carbon uh, rare earth oxides in the world. Right. Okay. And so, and I, I kind of got to stick with the kind of the money side of things here. So, we, it, and we'll come back to Polestar because that's obviously quite exciting. It's a beautiful looking car. Um, with regards to the the MOU, the offtake. So, did twenty five percent of production? That's a big chunk. That's quite nice. Um, so, did you say who that was is with? Can you say no, who that is? No, no, it's it's confidential. Um, right. The, the, it's a it's just something we've been asked not to disclose. Right, to, to, to the public, but presumably when you go back and talk about green bonds or anyone else looking to finance this thing with you, you'd have to reveal that, presumably? Yes, that's correct. Right, okay, okay. So, okay. So I just, I just want to understand the, the, the kind of process and how, how it all works. Um, right, so let's come back to Polestar. You obviously quite, quite a nice headline. You're going to work with them to create a, a climate neutral car. What does that actually mean? So it means what they're measuring is every raw material input into that car. They want suppliers who can demonstrate to them uh, the lowest possible embedded carbon to that car. So they've gone across the board. They've gone to the other mining companies, Beliden. They've got a whole bunch of other suppliers that they've teamed up in a collaboration. And they work with them to make sure that every single component that has the lowest possible embedded carbon that goes into the Polestar. Right. And r- right now, what, is this just a polite conversation with them or is there an order from them or the intent of an order from them? Or, and, you know, again, can you quantify what that means for you, you know, economically? There is no order. There's no offtake. It's very much a collaboration. It's very much a, a study program and working with them. So we sit down with them and say, look, this is what we can produce and when. And this is where we think we'll be on embedded carbon. And we see how that fits for their their longer term uh, plans for, for the Polestar. So it's very much a study group collaboration. But the way to think about it, it was in the 1970s, Volvo came out and said, you know, every car's going to have a safety cell and a seat belt. And then the rest of the world followed. 
So we think what Polestar is doing is what the rest of the, the EV industry is going to have to do. We start looking at and saying, hey, this is what we need to do. We need to make sure our raw materials have got an incredibly low embedded carbon. Right. Okay. And then, and then again, just sticking with the money, um, UK government, um, obviously, I think you've t- <laughs> seen a few choice photos of, of yourself and one Mr. Kwarteng. Uh, walking around um, your site, what, what else are they doing to help you or to, you know, maybe incentivize people to actually come and fund your project? We have a slight problem is that our project's quite efficient. So we don't employ that many people. So we're not like a, a, a Geiger factory employs 7,000 people. We're, we're only going to employ 120, 150 people long term. So it's not a big number of people. And the second thing is that the project is very profitable. So it's very, very hard for government to throw huge amounts of money at Salt End, and they're not. So the, the amount of money that they're helping us with at Salt End is really, is really to put the UK government's name on it so that when we go to the bond market, they've got, uh, it's got UK government backing and they can see the, the, the what it, who is now the Chancellor of the Exchequer, their high bids, putting shovel in the ground saying this is something the UK wants. So if it's more, Matthew, you'll understand this, this is more the sophistry of the whole thing. On the much more tangible side is we are working with UK export finance into the Angola financing piece. And that's a lot more tangible and that's a lot more where the UK government is, is assisting us, um, uh, with that, that piece. So that, that financing is, is underway and that, that will happen first quarter next year. But for the, for the salt end piece, the contribution from government is relatively small. Right. So, well, actually, given you've gone there, no, I was going to save. Save Angola for for the end, but um, you say that piece will be in 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 the first quarter next year. Did you say? Is that what you said? That's correct. Right. If we say that piece being what all of the money needed to actually build the project. So both financings are running in parallel, just that one takes yeah. longer than the other. <laughs> and yeah. uh, we've been working with uh, some of those agencies for quite some time now. Um, they are bilateral agencies, Matthew. They are government. They take longer. So the decision we've made is we're going to go ahead and get uh, Salt End Finance and kick that off. And then Salt, um, Angola gets financed first quarter new and build. And we're kind of hoping to dovetail the two. If there's any gap, that is, if uh, Salt End comes on ahead of Angola, we've got third-party feedstock that we'd aim to commission on at Salt End whilst uh, Angola comes on online. Right, so Salt End is, is priority in terms of the, 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 the financing and in no short order of Angola too, but... Um, the green bond is not really sort of on, well, so it's on the table at the moment, but markets are doing what markets are doing at the moment. So for you, do you, how do you kind of manage expectations around the time frame which gets, in which you can execute this? I get the money in your account to be able to build this thing, to be able to take the feedstock, your own feedstock, um, from Angola, because then, you know, that's got to build time to it. So what, what was the time frame that we're looking at for all of the above? Well, if um, there hadn't been the um, turmoil in the markets during this month, I'd be talking to you now with the money in the bank. So we've just shifted it forward a, a few weeks. And without being too, too specific, the documentation is being drawn up and we expect to be in a position to put that money into the bank accounts in a matter of weeks. Okay, so Sultan, money, all the money that you need minus the equity component. Is that right? So is that what you... Well, we may not have to go to the equity markets. And again, I've got to be careful what we're saying. We, we planned this financing, as I mentioned to you before, without recourse to the equity market. That doesn't mean to say that there aren't uh, existing shareholders or other equity participants who might want to come in. What it does mean is we, we don't need to run around the equity market cap in hand saying, 
help us finance this project. Right. Okay. So uh, the, the the equity component may be facilitated by another type of structure outside of going to capital markets and dilating your current shareholders. Without correct, you're talking at project level. So let's call it asset let's, level. Well, let's not get into too much of the detail. So there's a bond. There's a strategic piece, and there is, uh, shall we say, existing shareholders and others who will, who will finish it off. So, gotcha. so yeah, it's, okay. We're in we're in good shape. Conscious of dilation. Okay, fine. Um, so, th- so th- then that then that leads. To, again, I know you said at the beginning. I just want to remind. I'm just trying to paint how that because you've got to deliver sort of front end and back end, and then you kind of get the two kind of going to join up. You got to kind of close that gap, as it were, with two different financings, but two difficult. Two different technical uh, solutions for this for this thing. Feeding into a great thematic, rare us at the moment, ex China is you know everyone wants to crack that code because the size of the prize is potentially great and the margins are potentially great. So, um, so salt salt end build is is what? How long? Once you've got that, uh, roughly eighteen months. But just just wind back one step, just put it in perspective for you. You know, we're talking about a business uh, that will generate a free cash flow of approximately $450 million a year after tax average for the first five years. This is a very, very healthy business. So, after you've ramped it up to, to name yeah, like a capacity, when, right? Full what? year. First five years, full year production is $450 right. million US dollars free cash flow after tax. So it's very, very financeable. And it's a great business in its own right. So just salt end, uh, sitting in a free port, sitting in the UK, you, we can bring feedstock from many places in the world. And I think we've got a list of about seven or eight potential feedstocks for it. Because long term, we, we've said it from the outset, the salt end is a rare earth processing hub. Sure, we've got feedstock from Angola, which is, uh, which is very, very important, very valuable. But long term, it's a rare earth processing hub. And our plans are for it to go downstream and maybe even expand based on feedstock from other sources. But you don't want to do that too, too much, I suspect, because obviously there's rarest and there's rarest, different compositions, different codes to crack, as it were. What you want is that consistent feed from your own um, source, Angola, so you're not having to keep tweaking it and optimizing it as you go along. Very, so, very true, very true. But right. what we are doing, what we are keen on, and what the, the team's very keen on is getting some heavies in there. So as you know, we're producing neodymium and praseodymium oxide. What I know the team really wants to do, and they're super keen on it, is to uh, bring in some heavies. And they're talking about having it. So if we can produce NDPR disposing of terbium, that's exactly what the automotive uh, magnet makers want. So, you know, that's that, that's one of the steps we're looking forward to. So the, the sort of growth areas, one is we've talked about going down to metal uh, using offshore wind and this battery we're connected to next door. Two is uh, moving into heavies. Uh, and then the third one is the is the expansion. So, so it's uh, in in its own right, Salt End is a fantastic business. Right, and and I appreciate moving, wanting to move into heavies. It's it's slightly rarefied air, and it's higher, bigger, better margins uh, for, for for sure. You d- you definitely want to get in there. But um, so so just so Salt, salt End is um, I guess we're saying. 24, 24 months from being built. Is that what you're, is that what you're going with? If I'm looking at yes, right, yes, okay. So let's. Yes. So that's so that's 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 kind of good. And then some optimization period, and whether that's six months or twelve months, you're looking. No, at- no. We're saying first full year of production is 2025. We're saying it'll be built over the net, built and commissioned 
over the next two years. Right, but opt- optimizers, where are we going for? You talked about like full year, you know, full nameplate capacity. It, it takes a while. It's just judging on what, you know, other, you know. Um, yeah, we talked about that before. So six, yeah. at least six months we're allowing for. And that's part right. of the reason why the team's not that fussed about commissioning on uh, third-party material because we've got super high-grade material coming out of Longonjo. Commission on the shall I say, the lower-grade material, and then get it all set up and humming, then you pull in the super high-grade material from Long Gonjo. So there's right, a bit of, okay. there's a bit of I long- think that's where it's getting, that's where it's getting to in terms of the timing on, on both both these things, because there's the stuff that's in your control, and there's the third-party stuff, which kind of, if anything, is, is a bit of a hassle. But it's a, full, it's a nice fallback, but it, it, it's not the optimum solution for you guys. So, And if we go, if we go, go to Angola then, obviously that's, you know, very quickly, the next carriage on the train, we'll call it, in terms of the funding uh, campaign. Again, you're sort of giving some clues that the UK government is helping you there, but where else is the money coming from? Who else are you talking to? Well, there's three bilateral agencies we're working with, and they have mandates to put money into countries like Angola. And obviously, they pre-qualified in a process involving UK government. They've all worked together before. We've got a, a large investment bank um, pulling that all together. So that's just a, a lengthy process in working through uh, um, the various uh, entities, uh, due diligence and other requirements. Right. And, and you're imagining that the construct of the cash there being again, predominantly debt, but again, some equity requirement is, if so, do you treat it the same way as um, Saltand? Uh, predominantly debt and perhaps we like the idea of strategics rather than equity. We, we, we quite jealously guard our equity. So we've got 247 million shares on issue and uh, if we don't have to issue any more of those, we'd be very, very happy. So so okay. we, we think there are people who, and we are talking to people who are very, very interested in these uh, these kind of assets, um, and they don't necessarily have to hold equity in the TOPCO to participate. Right, okay. And then, um, again, again, timeframes there, again. So money comes in when build period optimization in terms of... Pr- so, so in effect, we've, we've started both projects already. It's not like we're sitting there waiting. There's lots of prep sure. work being done. So sure. when the, what the main financing is, is what we're talking about, and allows the main construction. But there's prep work being done for both projects from now on. Um, and it's just that Longonjo will start its main financing a few months later than, uh, than Salt End. And, you know, internally, the team are saying they think Longonjo will catch up. Well, you know, they're very confident and they're, they've got a lot of experience in building projects in Africa. So they don't see a big gap. Um, and, you know, as I say, it will be during the commissioning period anyway. It's not like we'll miss out any full full production. Right. And, and what, are you, what, are you, what are you actually then moving up to Sultans in, in terms of, it's, it's not just rare ore, is it? We're moving, we're moving a mixed rare sulfate. So that, that's right, one okay. of the things we're doing. So one of the things we're doing in Africa is unlike most of the... Uh, mining that goes on in Africa. Remember, we're not producing a raw ore, not producing concentrate. We're going all the way to a mixed rare earth sulfate. And it's super clean, super high grade, bring it across to the UK. And then all we do in the UK is actually the chemistry. It's like the, the separation. So we think that's the, that's the perfect combination. We think the UK has got considerable advantages in these two great assets it's got. One is the chemical parks, places like the Sultane Chemicals Park and offshore wind. You combine those two and you've got a combination of the very low, low priced uh, and zero carbon electricity into an existing chemical park. But in, in Angola, in the country, we want to do as much as the mineral processing and take it as far as we can. 
We think that's a much better model. It's a much bigger fiscal take for the Angolan government, employs a lot more people, higher value jobs in Angola, and lets the UK do what it's really good at. The UK actually isn't very good at mining and mineral processing, we, but we're really, really good at, world-class at, chemical engineering, and we lead the world in offshore wind. So it makes enormous sense to tap into those two things in the UK and do the mining and mineral processing in, in Angola. Right, okay. So obviously markets... Not pretty, not pretty uh, sight to look at at the moment for for everyone. Um, there's, you know, it's pretty pretty hands off at the moment. Rareos has had a good run of it. Prices come off about whatever it is, you know, 30 percent re- recently since February. Anyway, um, so come back to this kind of sustainable forecasting, and you know, and which you know funders are going to need to feel comfortable with. So the supply demand fundamentals you're going to tell me are awesome and if you can kind of insert yourself into that it's, it's all good news but um how, how do your financiers get they've already they've already this? made the mind up we're past that point so they already agree with us. So they already agree with us so they they think they think the thematic's incredibly strong they think the forecast is very strong you take the worst forecast out there at the moment and that's can accord and they're at one hundred twenty thousand dollars a ton for uh, ndpr oxide long term you know, we make a fortune yeah, of that. That's but, their worst case. And so. Well, that's our analysts. Analysts are delightfully enthusiastic for forecasting. When it comes to lending money, it's a different set of people you're talking to. So I'm just wondering, how, how do you kind of get we, that price? As I say, we're that, that, that point. They're very happy with, with the numbers. They're happy with the thematics. They're happy with the, the okay. prices. So we're, we're well past that point. Just to understand a little bit what we're talking about here. I mean, broad brush, you know, if you did an, N, if you did an NPV valuation on Pensana based on those metrics I've just given you, you're talking six pounds a share. You know, that's the number you're going to get to. And at that price, we'd have a market cap of just, just under one and a half billion US dollars. Our competitors, Linus and MP Materials, have respectively got market caps of 4.7 and 5 billion. So in other words, even at your six pounds, we're still a fifth of the value of our competitors. So, you know, this is not a difficult financing for the financiers. Uh, the comps are very much in our favor. Okay, so, so great. Let's, let's, let's go there. And that is, and you talked about our financiers are kind of way past that point. They understand the, the supply demand fundamentals. They agree with us. It, it's a, it's a really positive time for rare arts. Um, so let, let's go into, or get back to, which again, we have talked about in the past, but let's remind people, um, technically, you need to, you need to say to them, not, okay, we're good at mining. We can dig this stuff up and we can, you know, we, 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 we can ship stuff to Salt End. And there we are going to, in the, the UK hub or the European hub for rare earths, we're going to be able to produce stuff no problemo. What, what have you had to demonstrate to the market, to the bankers, and who have they brought in as their experts to validate what you're saying? Because I think that's really important. Because it's all well and good building it, but you've got to be able to make it. We, like you, there's been a fair amount of cynicism and a fair amount of uh, um, questions asked. And so we've had extensive due diligence by probably the world's experts on uh, what we're doing. And they've all come out and said, yeah, it's fine. They maybe offered us money. So all I can say is we've had the most detailed due diligence of any rare earth company you've ever heard of. And they come out and said, yeah, we want to finance you. Okay. So what are we looking forward to coming up? Just remind us. Give us those, give us those headlines. Um, financing and starting building. 
producing cash flow by when? So 2025, we think is the first full year of production. That's um, depending where the rare earth price gets to, but it's $450 million a year free cash flow after tax for the first five years average. Paul, appreciate the update. Thank you very much for letting us know what's going on. Um, and uh, definitely when that money comes in, let me know. Will do. Look forward to it. Thank you very much for your time. We appreciate that.